Welcome to the Move With Your Life podcast. Real stories, real heart, real people moving with their lives. Brought to you by Boundless Wellness Coaching. Oh, hey there. I am so excited to have you here on the Move With Your Life podcast. And I'm delighted to be introducing you to one of my favorite people, Celine Ibsen. We've been roomies, besties, adventure pals, and confidants since 2006. By day, Celine's pronouns are they, them, and she, her. By night, they're also they, them, and she, her. That was a typo originally. Yeah, but I requested you leave it in. I think it'd be funnier if I was they, them by day and she, her by night. But yes, either or all the time. Either way, it works. (laughs) During the day, they are also a forest school teacher. And in their spare time, they enjoy playing an epic game called Wingspan. They practice deep water workouts, watch a lot of TV, and read and write silly songs for kids. Celine is playful, curious, and described by her partner Allison as wonderful. And fun fact, her favorite snack is pickles. What kind of pickles do you prefer? Tell us. This is important. Um, I think regular What's Still, like not too well. I'm fine with garlic, but not if it's too garlicky. I just like a traditional hmm. dill. It's like a mild garlic dill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I get you. What are the bread and butter pickles? Those can be good too. Those are delicious. But I draw the line at sweet pickles. My grandma no, made those are such out. an amazing jar of bread and butter pickles. By the way. Anyways, are they in your digress. fridge? They are not in my fridge. No. Sad day. <laughs> Grandma's at peace now. No more pickles, unfortunately. <laughs> Love you, Grandma. So Celine will be talking with us today about the healing and learning that we can experience in nature. So as such, it is important that we acknowledge whose land we work, play, and podcast on. So we're coming to you from Calgary, Alberta, Treaty 7 territory, home of the Blackfoot Confederacy, including Sitsika, Bikani, Kainai, the Stony Nakoda, the Chiniki, Bearspaw, and Wesley Nations, and Sutina Nation. Southern Alberta is also home to the Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3. Well, Celine, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Oh, so happy to have you. So why don't you start off by telling us what you believe boundless means? Yeah, I was thinking about this when you sent me that question. And my first thought was like, well, it definitely doesn't mean not having limits. (laughs) Because when there's no limits at all, that can actually get not good and scary, like things that grow without limitation. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it like makes me think about being connected to everything in the world. So I myself might have boundaries and edges, but I'm connected to everything else mm-hmm. out there. And it even makes me think back in time, like mm-hmm. beyond even my human ancestors to like the first plants that figured out how to come out of the water and be on land. I'm reading a book about moss right now, and I'm really obsessed. Um, amazing. Yeah, but it's just amazing to think about the fact that, you know, plants evolved to the point where they could adjust the climate so that humans could actually live. And that's why I'm here. And whatever you and I are doing here, when that ends, it will make way for something else to happen. And yeah, totally. and that's why being in nature is important to me too, because I tap into that feeling. And then, mm. yeah, you just recognize yourself as part of this huge thing that's so much bigger than you and you do feel like it's endless and beautiful absolutely Ooh, that gives me some feels and chills <laughs> and yeah i think that's an important distinction when we talk about boundless in boundless wellness coaching not talking about not having boundaries right it's important we have boundaries with our time with our emotions with our relationships finances all kinds of things and yet it sounds like what you're suggesting is to you, it means mostly an evolutionary process of becoming and expanding. Yeah. And I really like how you think about it too, because you talk about becoming like authentically who you are Mm -hmm. and there is like a real endlessness in that, like going deeper and because we're always growing and changing and that's super beautiful. So beautiful. I love that. So moving forward a little bit in 2020, you went through a myriad of challenges, changes, transitions in your personal life and your health. Do you mind telling us a bit about this period of time, what happened, and maybe giving us a bit of context for the shifts you've noticed in your life? Yeah. Was this 2020 and not 2021? Man, what is time? I don't know. No, I think it was 2020. Yeah, you're right. 
What wow. a weird year. That was a terrible year. <laughs> yeah, it was a bad year. <laughs> yeah. So first, as we both experienced, Derek died and that was really hard. Um, and I know like, yeah, a deep grief that all of us who were close to him are just carrying with us always. For those who don't know, Derek, if you haven't listened to the first episode, was my partner Yeah. Um, for 15 years. Yeah, and a really good friend of mine as well. We went to school yeah. together and we all met there in our first year of university. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so that was like, also right around the same time that happened, COVID became an official thing in Canada that we cared about and made us stay home. Mm -hmm. And so that was um, a wild adjustment. Yeah. Yeah. Huge. Um, And then not too long after that, like living with that for a few months and with the grief of losing a friend. And then in... um, I think it was July of that year, like late July, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Mm -hmm. Um, And I went into surgery, like within a few weeks, I was in surgery, had a brain surgery in early August. Um, Yeah. And then I thought things would be kind of be settled after the surgery, which went well, which was great. Um, But one thing I didn't know beforehand, which I learned after, um, is true for a lot of other people, is you you can often have mental health challenges after um, a brain surgery or any kind of head trauma, really. Um, but for me specifically, um, I guess I'll tell the story in terms of like my understanding of it now, yeah. not what went on then that I was like, I have no idea what's going on and why this is <laughs> happening. Um, well, some of it was kind of entertaining. <laughs> it was. It was entertaining. <laughs> is that a good, okay word to use? I think so. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Traumatic and entertaining. Yeah, it was both. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's very valid. I did have a lot of fun. You totally did. <laughs> I also had like terrifying and terrible times, but yes. they were fun times. Yeah. And that's partly because um over a year later, I came through this time with a diagnosis for bipolar, which mm-hmm. makes sense because bipolar's mood up and down swings, right? right. So you can have really high intense moods and those are called mania and then you can have a really down mood in the form of depression um but at the time I didn't realize this was what was happening I went on steroids before the brain surgery which sped my brain up nice and fast which is what mania is and how it works your brain is just like kind of constantly moving and not stopping makes it hard to sleep so I was like which and it's also common for people who don't have bipolar to experience that on a steroid which and steroids are super necessary to protect you during the surgery. Yes, take the steroids if they give them. <laughs> yeah, to. they keep your your <laughs> they are like an anti-inflammatory, keep things from swelling, which is kind of important if your head's going to be cut open a little bit. Because um, your body's going to have a reaction to that. That's how the body tries to heal is by swelling up. Yeah. Um. Anyway, that's probably a very unscientific explanation. I like but it. The doctors out there can correct it. That's perfect. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I was starting to probably feel the effects of that even before the surgery. And so I was in the hospital recovering for about five days, but really like barely sleeping during that time, even though I was getting better on all the other physical markers, I was able to walk in a straight line and talk and stuff. But about a day after going home, I had a psychotic break Mm -hmm. or a psychotic episode of some kind. Um, And yeah, so then Um, my partner and my mom were both there. They'd been with me through the time in the hospital as well, but they took me back to the hospital and I I had to be admitted to the psych ward after like a a rough couple days. Um, Maybe it was one day in emergency. Anyway, I was like not fully there, like with what was going on in my head. Um, I actually told the people on the way in that when they screened me, they were like, do you have COVID? I was like, yes. And Allison and my mom had to be like, like, no, "No." she does not have COVID. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But a lot of what was going on in my mind at that time, which felt more real than reality was very scary. Um, And yeah. And then the time recovering on the psych ward was actually a really good and really formative time. I would say, um, yeah, I felt like well cared for there. And I just met some really cool people. Yeah, People with just so many amazing abilities mm-hmm. and life stories. And, and yeah, mm-hmm. like one thing that changed for me in that time is like, I'm never going to feel the, I think I used to feel scared or fre- uh, threatened or awkward 
not know what to do when someone on the street comes up to me and asks me for money or is like kind of not with it and is babbling and um that I just don't feel scared anymore and I feel like I get it because I've been there I've been in the same state and I've met a lot of other people who are in the same space and um yeah we're just people and yeah and like I made so many good friends yeah yeah and I like I also just really enjoyed like I learned many things from the people that were there everyone had like different things to share Mm -hmm. and different gifts to give um and then also I was just really happy unlike when I was recovering from my surgery on the neurosurgery unit to like not be stuck in my bed (laughs) and we could watch movies and hang out and get to know people and exercise and yeah yeah. so um can you give an example of like maybe the most beautiful experience you had while you were building those relationships Mm, that's a good question I had a I had a lot of like wonderful time with music in there Mm. there was someone who was a really good musician um and I was like relearning how to play things on guitar that Mm -hmm. because it was kind of just coming back to me uh after the surgery and like trying to teach myself songs on the piano yeah there was actually more than one person who was really amazing at music so just sharing music with other people and hearing stuff that they could play and sing and Allison and I my partner like sang together a lot and some of the folks in there loved that so Mm -hmm. yeah that was fun yeah and you recorded quite a few beautiful songs and poetry that you put to music and you sent it to your friend group and like just beautiful pieces yeah and that's one of the things about like mania is obviously scary when it gets out of control and not good and I hate not being able to sleep because sleep is my jam I love sleeping it's essential for healing really it's very important for health absolutely um but so when mania gets out of control you lose the ability to sleep and that's not fun at all Mm -hmm. but prior to that one of the things it helps with is like heightened creativity Mm -hmm. and I've experienced that as a huge gift yeah yeah and I think that's you know true for a lot of people yeah So what are a few of your own examples? We've talked about music, but of the heightened creativity you've experienced as a result of this shift. Yeah, music is one. For me, it's mostly music and poetry. Poetry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Like words and ideas, things just, and I'm sure other people who have, you know, the same experience will understand this or be able to explain this in their own way. But it's just like you see the connections between ideas really easily. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, it's hard. The downside of it is, or can be, it's hard to stick with one thing because you're like, ooh, this is connected to that and that could connect to this. Totally. And when it gets out of control, then it's suddenly like you think everything is connected even when it probably isn't. (laughs) So like it can go beyond making sense. But at the beginning, it makes a kind of sense or helps you make sense actually in a way that like, yeah, kind of like speeds up those connections that normally, if you were just kind of in a regular brain state, would be much harder yeah. to see those things. Totally. Yeah. So, like, there may be some listeners who do have a diagnosis of bipolar. Um, I'm just curious about when they're in those manic stages, and they may be curious, too, about how you stabilize that loop that's going around and how you yeah. get to a point of... That's a good question. strategies for that? And I should also say, like, I'm... A, not an expert like obviously I have my own experience in my own life but I'm sure there's other people in the community who are more educated and mm-hmm. know more I'm just going to share like what I've learned so far Absolutely. um yeah routine is super helpful I learned which is funny because I like to be spontaneous surprise surprise <laughs> so I'm like I don't want to commit to like doing everything <laughs> the same way every day but it really helps <laughs> really helps um and I, you don't have to be, I don't have to be like super rigid about it, but I just know it's something that I notice about my life now. Like if my routine shifts, I'll probably get like a buzz of extra creativity, but also I'll find it difficult to focus on things. And now that I know that about myself, it's like, oh yeah, this is happening. And once my routine stabilizes, this will probably normalize a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, other things, uh, anything that like affects your brain chemistry will mess with it. So like, uh for me like limiting coffee and alcohol like they do opposite things to your brain um (laughs) like one is kind of an upper and one's more of a downer but anything you do that messes with your brain chemistry when you're in a more sensitive state can kind of push you further 
into mania in a way that's not helpful. I'm trying to think. I know there's others. Those are the two that immediately... Mm-hmm. That are the, like, biggest ones I watch out for. And sleep, like, and, and sleep. that's related to schedule, right? Like, if you can get sleep because as you start if you start losing sleep it'll increase Mm -hmm. and so this actually connects to another part of the story which is so after I was in on the psych ward for like three weeks I think Mm -hmm. and then went home and was doing better and um better as in just feeling more stable um and it was things were okay for a couple months there was a month where Allison and I were both kind of at home and off work, I think. And that was a really nice time. And then she went back to work and I was still like just starting to gradually return to my work. And I, and that was kind of like in the winter time as well. And I started to get depressed and I experienced like the clinical depression side of, of bipolar, which I've, I've been depressed in the colloquial sense before in my life of just like, you know, I had a breakup or something really sad happened in my life and I felt really sad about it, but not this state of just like without a known at the time for me, like reason or, and I think this is often how it feels. You don't understand mm-hmm. all the reasons why, or there doesn't seem to be an obvious reason why, but you just have no energy. Yeah. You don't care. Yes. Um, and you feel like totally trapped in that state. Mm-hmm. So that went on for about six months and I was like, I don't know if this will ever end. And I know that's often how you feel when you're on the inside of depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started to feel, um, gradually get a bit better. I got on an antidepressant. I, I think it helped. Um, but I think also it just became like spring and stuff. And for me, it's like seasonally yeah. things will go up and down since then, since that time, I haven't really experienced, um, like depression like that again. Mm-hmm. Um, but bipolar is different for everybody. Like it's not this consistent up and down cycle. Mm-hmm. Some people experience more of one thing and less of another or whatever. Seems to be the case for most mental health diagnoses, like ADHD yeah. or autism spectrum, like all kinds of things that just have a wide range of experience. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And like you have this clinical explanation of what it is, but then everyone's, yeah, yeah life is quite unique. Yeah. And I actually didn't, so through all of this, I've been talking about it, like in terms of the diagnosis, because that's what I understand now, but I did not have a diagnosis because Mm -hmm. the fact that I'd had a traumatic experience had maybe just triggered all this stuff as one time, like, um, I guess, consequences. And it could be like, well, it's just happened this time, but it's not really a recurring thing. But um, one year later in the summer, I started to like experience the beginning of mania again, which is technically called hypomania. Mm-hmm. And I like d- did not clue in, but Alice included in. We were like <laughs> on holiday together. And she's like, so you've been sleeping less and writing a lot of poetry. <laughs> Do you think it's possible that <laughs> you're like a little bit manic? And I was like, Oh, isn't it helpful to have a counselor for a partner? I know, but I was like, that makes so much sense. Allison is a counselor. Yeah, she's a therapist. But you don't have to be like someone doesn't, your partner does not have to be a therapist to notice. They'll probably notice if they know you and know what's up with you. Absolutely. (laughs) Whatever your mental health is, it's just helpful to have another person there. But I was like, oh yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. And so then um, I got in touch with someone that I knew who's, who's lived with bipolar for a long time. And hadn't really talked to to before, but was like, I just need some advice. Got really helpful advice Mm -hmm. um, and and, um, input about getting on a mood stabilizer. So then I called my psychiatrist, like, as soon as we got home from the vacation, it was like, can I get on this mood stabilizer, please? These are all my symptoms. Like, and he was like, yep, definitely. (laughs) That makes sense. And I've been on that since, and it's been really helpful in stabilizing. So for me, medication has definitely been helpful too. But yeah, Mm -hmm. like that one experience taught me so much too, because I was on holiday, my routine had changed. I was like probably stimulated by like, you know, so many new interactions and fun like connections with people that I was seeing there was also something that I was involved with where there was like a lot of interpersonal conflict in a situation that I couldn't leave 
which is mm-hmm. definitely just a triggering thing for me personally. Yes. So I'm sure that had an effect. I was drinking way more coffee and alcohol than usual just because the people I was around were doing that. And that was like holiday it's mode. So commonplace in our culture. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, but looking back on it, I was like, oh, that was the perfect storm. <laughs> yeah, oh, and the other thing is I was going off my antidepressant because I was like, I'm not depressed anymore. Oh, yeah. I probably don't need it. Um, and the perfect blender of things, just yeah. changing your brain chemistry in all those ways. Yeah. yeah. Makes anyway. So after that experience, like understanding what was going on was so helpful mm-hmm. to be like, Oh, there's a reason that I've been feeling all these things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, speaking as your friend, and I hope this is okay to say, like watching how you navigated through that with such courage, but also how you took it upon yourself to research absolutely everything about what was going on and know yourself and know your new brain really like, and how you could live within it in a way that was thriving and (laughs) beautiful. That was quite inspiring to all of us, even though I know it probably didn't feel that way at the time. Um, So watching you for me was a huge inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate you saying that. And I think um, I, uh, I felt frustrated, honestly, through a lot of that journey that I didn't have a diagnosis or an explanation sooner, Mm -hmm. especially because bipolar is something in in my family history. So it's something that I'd already thought of. Other people in my family had been like, what about this? Um, And yeah, not having clarity about what was going on and not knowing. And so I just didn't look into it for a while. But then when I did like realize, oh, this does fit this pattern. Mm Um, I know, and I think maybe this is partly why I wasn't getting like a clear diagnosis early on. Cause I think perhaps like partly they just didn't have the information to like, it was after that second time yeah. that the mania recurred that it was like, okay, this isn't just related to your brain surgery. But also I think maybe doctors hesitate to do, to give a diagnosis cause for people it can be stigmatizing. Right. But for me, I was like, I don't feel bad about this. Yeah, I feel empowered. Helpful. Yeah. Totally. To be able to understand what's going on, to learn how to work with it. Yeah. And uh, yeah. 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 I think we've got a couple of schools of thought going on right now. One where there's sort of a camp of people who think diagnoses aren't super helpful um, and fair. Like, like you say, they can be stigmatizing. And then sort of another camp that's like, this helps me to be able to understand everything that's going on for me, maybe for my child, yeah. how to get proper resources. Um, you know, finding a navigation between those two camps, I think can be a bit challenging. So what's, what's been your experience about how other people have viewed your diagnosis? Has it been, has it been something that's made sense to other people? Has it been helpful? I think so. I think other people have been generally supportive. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't really experienced any negativity around it, but I don't like approach it negatively when I share it with people, right? No, you don't. Um, And I think like related to what you're saying too about the different camps and whatever, we've had this conversation a number of times where we're like, well, it seems like a lot of mental health things just bleed into each other and like neurodiversity. Yes. It's all like can feel so connected. Mm -hmm. Like we can compare our symptoms when we're talking about, you know, like ADHD or bipolar or anxiety and there's like all this overlap. Mm -hmm. And I think part of it is just that like obviously – we've invented these categories as humans because we need to try and make sense of how our brains work. Mm -hmm. Um, But they're our best understanding or guess of what's going on. And also like whatever we've been able to capture in a tidy category, but that doesn't mean they actually like are um, like the foundational forever definition of reality. Our learning about this is always going to be evolving. And I think we're going to like learn about how things connect and overlap the categories are just there because categories help us think as humans and they help us make sense of the world so yeah i think there's like an element of being able to hold them lightly and Mm -hmm. knowing that the scientific community will change its mind and will learn more and that's part of the process that's normal um but yeah for me personally like having information is is helpful and is um and there can be information out there that you're like no i don't think i agree with that or that seems untrue to my experience and it's important to like stand up for what your experience is of course but I don't know a big part of my journey too has just been that it's important to listen to other people's advice and like learn from where they've been and what they've experienced you know it's great to have that help and it's great to like take input and not just be like I I have everything figured out right exactly (laughs) well and as you know like you and I have talked often about my own mental health challenges as we've 
navigated through this together a little bit. And, um, you know, I was diagnosed with ADHD not too long ago. And at first I was like, I don't have ADHD. Like I'm not hyper. Well, I am hyper, but I'm not, I'm not like, can't sit still. Well, <laughs> maybe a little bit. <sighs> no, I'm rethinking this, but I'm not the traditional looking kind of ADHD. Like when I'm having a conversation like this, I can tune right into what you're saying. We can have a dialogue. We can, I can be focused. So I had never thought of what I had as ADHD until both my doctor and my therapist were like, did you know that in women, this presents like anxiety? Yeah. And for many years, since I was a kid, I have been very anxious and very um, obsessive thoughts and difficult things that I worry about in the future that haven't even happened yet. And so, like you say, there's this sort of neurodiversity that weaves through. There's this thread that connects different types of mental health and you're concerned about getting a diagnosis. What if it's right? What if it's wrong? But when I went on medication for ADHD, I felt like I was a different person. The panic is different. The sleep is different. Like my interactions are different. It's really quite a beautiful thing. But I think the important piece for me is I am not my diagnosis. It's yeah. not who I am. It's yeah. something I hold. It's something I live with and I walk with. It's not who I am. Sounds like that's kind of what you're saying too. Yeah. yeah. It's just like another lens for understanding yourself. Totally. There you go. I like that. Another lens for understanding yourself. So let's take a look at the shifts that you made in your, in your own life or the changes as a result of this experience. So I know you, you had a career shift really after this whole experience. Can you tell us a bit about what you're doing now and how that maybe came from this experience? Yeah. Um, while I'm thinking of the words you used to describe me at the beginning, which all came from Allison, and one of them is playful. Um, <laughs> playful. Yeah. Or she said wonderful, because I'm always full of wonder wonderful. about things, which is true. That's right. But um, but I'm definitely a playful person. And I think I'd been in a job for quite a while that was like a responsible job that made a lot of sense that I was good at. I was also like really relationally connected to the people at that job, I had a great community that I worked with and I didn't want to leave that, but I'd been in this comfortable place for a while that didn't really align with that like playful part of my soul. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd been contemplating making a shift and trying to make some moves, um, but I'm also very slow to make change. And I feel like <laughs> this traumatic event in my life with the brain surgery and then all the mental health turbulence that resulted was um, just a really good motivator mm -hmm. to be like, okay, well, if I'm going to make a change, I might as well do it now. And I think that's also not, I'm not like alone in that during COVID. A lot of people made career shifts at that time. But yeah, during that time that I was really depressed and kind of returning to my job um, that felt responsible but wasn't where my heart was at anymore. I was like, okay, I think I need to make this change. And and my partner was really supportive in helping me walk through that. I don't think without someone else's help in that time, I would have taken the steps I needed to to make it happen right then mm -hmm. or to come out of that time with a new job. Um, just because when you're depressed, you don't oh, want to do anything. No, All I could do was lie on the couch and watch my favorite show over and over. Um, but... Um, I had that help, which is amazing and was a big privilege. Um, and yeah, I made the switch to um, outdoor education, which is something I've wanted to work in for a while. I've just was wanted to do something where I was more connected um, with nature and I wanted to work with children. And I remember a conversation, you were there actually for this a couple years ago with a bunch of our friends um, from university all women and a lot of them like new moms and someone brought up forest school and I was like, what's that? Right. <laughs> There's what's that? like a, an outdoor school for kids where they play outside and it's like play based. I was like, Ooh, yes, please. I need to learn more about this. <laughs> yeah. So I'd been learning and researching a bit before the pandemic and trying to get volunteer experience outside the pandemic sort of um, made that difficult because a lot of things got shut down. Um, but I was able to come out of that year with the opportunity to volunteer at a forest school that was near me. And that turned into, yeah, having regular employment there. And I'm, I'm now doing a early childhood education certificate and a forest school certification as well. Um, and yeah. And those kids would just love you. I, I just wish I could be a fly on the tree. <laughs> a fly on the tree. <laughs> watch, yeah. And watch you <laughs> educate your children. <laughs> 
I mean, one, amazing at it. one of my favorite things about it is that we work in teams. So it's always like two teachers and yeah. every, all of us teachers have like different personalities and bring different things. And I love working with other people and seeing what we each bring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. So some people may not know exactly what forest school is. Can you give us an example of what your day might look like? Yeah, totally. Well, I can tell you that I, I visited one of my classes the other day um, because I've been dealing with another fun health challenge lately, which is that I hurt my back. Yeah. So I've been off work and my back's been getting better, but I went, I was feeling well enough to walk and uh, see the class. So I went to hang out with my preschool kindergarten class, drop in and see what they're up to. And they were, um, they had a little fire going and one of them was trying to melt water <laughs> um, <laughs> or melt, melt snow to make water. They were succeeding. Um, another kid was chopping firewood. This is all skills we've like, you know, these kids are pretty young, but they're skills we've built up to slowly. Another one was practicing how to like light a match. Some of them were working in the tool circle. Um, I talked to my other coworker and another class had found that this log had a whole bunch of ladybugs living under it. So they were like designing a ladybug hotel for them and like trying to leave the ladybug snacks. <laughs> so a lot of it is about nature connection and just interacting with whatever you encounter. You always go back to the same space because wow. it's about building that connection with land and with place. Um, and then it's also about like risky play and letting kids climb trees or work mm-hmm. with tools mm-hmm. and, and giving them outdoor skills. Um, but it can really be anything because it's supposed to be about what the children are inquisitive about and like seeing how we can turn that into a learning opportunity yeah. um we've ha- we've put on plays like we've built boats like anything they <laughs> they have an idea so for much. that works with the with the space we're in that's perfect yeah and i think so important especially right now when technology is booming right in our society and it's not a bad thing like we we need it um, kids learn a lot through it as well. It's not an altogether negative thing, but to get kids reconnected to the earth and to nature, um, I think it's so important for so many mental health challenges as well, depression being one of them. And we're seeing that early and er- earlier and earlier in children. And then also connection to our history, our roots. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think just like, for me, it's, uh, it's a lot about nature connection. Cause I also feel like the more we recognize and root into our belonging in nature, mm-hmm. that we're not this separate thing and we have our own human world and human life. Like we're animals too. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the more we realize how much we belong with the rest of the land and the animals and the plants and everything that's out there, the more we'll be willing to like take care of the earth and make the changes that we need to make to take care of our world in the long run and to take care of each other. Um, yeah. And it is really life giving to be out there. Like that's part of why I made the shift was for my own mental health. Cause I knew being outside really, really nurtures me and, um, yeah, it has changes you. Yeah. Um, there's a quote that I really love. There's a book called nature fix. It's by Florence, uh, Williams. It's her last name, I believe Florence Williams. And this is the quote. So we don't experience natural environments enough to realize how restored they can make us feel, nor are we aware that studies show they make us, they make us healthier, more creative, more empathetic, and more apt to enjoy the world and each other. Nature, it turns out, is good for civilization. So my question for you would be, how does nature make us more empathetic people? How does it foster empathy? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I think it, it like requires you to be adaptive because you can't just go into the outdoors and be like, this is what I'm wearing today, or this is how things are going to be. Like the weather is going to be what it's going to be. <laughs> um, and you get to respond to it. And there's just so many things that you encounter that you didn't plan. Um, you know, our lives are very planned. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I, that's actually one of the things that I do when I get manic is I make a lot of plans and big long lists and then I don't really follow through on the plans. Um, this but it's a lot like ADHD. But we have this human desire to control, right. And yeah. to like get a handle on everything and whatever, but like being out with the rest of nature reminds us that we are not in control and it's actually a really refreshing, beautiful thing. Like there's so many gifts and things that you encounter that are, life-giving for you that you didn't expect and you just get to go out there and experience it and show up and learn Mm. um and when you were talking about you know nature is good for civilization it also made me think about 
during my forest school training, we had a local herbalist. Her name's Kaylin Kodiak, and she's um, Métis. And she was teaching us about how in her tradition um, that humans were actually like created last after animals and plants. And plants are actually the oldest. So we're like the younger siblings of everything else in nature. And I never thought about it that way before. It makes evolutionary sense because, you know, that's kind of the order. A lot of other things existed before we, had, right. we came to exist. Yeah. Um, and I just, it's been a beautiful thought for me that like, oh, this tree is like my older sibling. It's also mm-hmm. exciting for me because I'm an oldest, so I've never had an older sibling before, but I'm oh, like, oh, I have I so many that. older siblings now. Um, but yeah, that's that indigenous understanding that we have so much to learn from these other beings that have been here much longer, mm-hmm. um, makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Um, and I think... Yeah, if we can slow down and listen to the lessons that are there, yeah. we're gonna learn how to be human in the way that we, um, I I want to say meant to be. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's absolutely beautiful, and it makes me feel safe thinking that way. That we're held by something that's been around for generations. Yeah, and, and that we are all a part of it. I think that's. And incredibly beautiful thought. It's super beautiful. And we're talking about it in this very spiritual sense, but you can think about it really scientifically too. Like we are held by nature. Like if trees weren't doing what they were doing, we would not be breathing right now. Absolutely. Like it's, it's actually, it makes it more beautiful. Yeah. Scientifically. Yeah. And it's, and it's so literal. And it's literal. They are literally taking care of us. Um, and if we want to be present and listen, they have, they have things to show us. Yeah. So, Tell me about how that connects to your work with kids. What's one thing that you've learned from working specifically with kids outside? Well, I think one thing I've learned from forest school, like practice and methodology, is um, to step back and observe. Mm-hmm. And with kids, because I, I like naturally know how to get in there and play. <laughs> and I love yeah. doing that. <laughs> and I love connecting with kids on that level. Mm-hmm. And I, I like I feel like I automatically get them and they get me on that level. Yeah. Um, but as a four school teacher, there's also a role you have to hold as observer mm-hmm. where you're noticing and trying to figure out what's actually going on for them. What's really important to them. And like asking questions is really important with this. Um, mm-hmm. And curiosity. Yeah. And it relates, it, it relates to nature too, because if, if you can approach nature the same way with like noticing what's going on and asking and learning, mm-hmm. um, and in some of the forest school theory I'm learning and like, there's a term called adulterating where you get in there as an adult and you try <laughs> That's to, not where I thought that was going. <laughs> no, but like you're trying, you're trying to turn the play into something adult or like take it over with mm-hmm. your own ideas because you have like an agenda and you don't even realize it of how you think things should be going. And there's like, and of course you need to be a safe adult presence and you need to intervene and guide and lead when that's needed Mm -hmm. and keep children safe and like take care of them and help if there's interpersonal conflicts or things like that. But if you can step back and notice what's going on with them, instead of putting your own agenda into it, that's when you can really learn and see what's going on. And yeah, that I feel like you can have that same approach to the rest of the natural world too. Yeah. Um, and that's really helpful for me because I love to get in there with things, but to learn how to be an observer and you can be an observer of your own life. Yeah. So I've learned a lot from that. That's beautiful. And it's interesting how counterintuitive that even feels like for me as an adult, somebody watching a kid, I can think back on times when I've like adulterated the yeah. play, right? Yeah, totally. Or come into it and tried to make it something different because I'm like, no, 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 that's not how you learn. Yeah. Right? When can you imagine the creativity that we would have like all the more than we do now? And there's so much creativity in the world now, but how much more we'd have if we just allowed kids to learn those things with structure, but like to learn yeah. in a way that's playful. Yeah. yeah. And said what's actually and slowed down long enough to notice what's actually going on with yeah, them. I yeah. I love that. So what would be, if you could pick one, <laughs> there's probably many, what would be the most powerful or healing experience that you have had with nature? Oh, that's a really good question. I didn't prep you for that one. No, you <laughs> didn't. It's hard to pick one. And I don't know if I have one that like nope. super stand. Well, you okay. Can pick I can think of a... Anything. Yeah. I mean, like anytime I've been out in nature in an extended time, I can think of some canoe trips where I've just mm-hmm. been like lost in the... 
I want to say, I say, I'm saying lost in the landscape, but also just like very on the river and nothing else is going on. I'm just mm. there in that moment and noticing all the things around me. It's like that flow state. Yeah. Every, every sense connected to what's happening. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I've had a lot of experiences like that. There was another mm. one where we went camping at um, Writing on Stone and we crossed the river, <laughs> had to get wet, like up over our knees and then like wandered in a coulee all day, me and my partner and like took a nap in the middle of a field and then. I woke up suddenly because I thought a snake was touching me, but there was no snake. I just have like a small snake phobia. Um, (laughs) No big deal. Yeah. (laughs) But that was another day where I was just like in the flow state. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. I, I mean, we were talking earlier about my own experience about seeing a sunset when I was in Morocco and how I have never, honestly, I can say never felt that kind of awe before. Just like completely in awe of what's going on mesmerized and it's almost as if you can lose yourself but also you know there's just something bigger there it's just something and I'm not necessarily talking about a spiritual thing here it's just you feel like you're part of something more profound in this human experience yeah and it was incredible yeah and that's the boundless thing we were talking about at the beginning right for me it definitely is spiritual but I think no matter how you come at it we we know that feeling exactly yeah I mean we all are spiritual in some way I would suggest but it's 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 like a groundedness I think um and you can identify that however you wish it's just a beautiful thing no matter what (laughs) yeah yeah so how do you continue to care for your holistic health we talked about mental health a little bit, some of the challenges moving forward. And you still have days that are challenging. I still do as well. Everyone does, right? There's peaks and valleys with mental health. There's peaks and valleys in life. Um, how do you care for yourself through that? Yeah, for me, there's a couple of big things that stand out. Um, one that's very personal to me is slowing down and feeling my feelings, mm. which I'm not very good at, but, uh, <laughs> <What>? but I try, <laughs> but I know that it's so helpful when I do. Mm-hmm. It's the thing that I like forget to do. Cause I'm like, I'm going to do all the fun things. And then, then my feelings catch up to me. Mm-hmm. But if I can take time to slow down and allow space for them, yeah. um, that is a real strengthening thing that, that definitely yeah contributes you, to health do you have a practice for allowing space or is it just i'm trying to develop one right now mm-hmm. actually because i don't and i think i need one mm-hmm. yeah yeah good, good <laughs> so answer that, that's good where answer. that one is that's a great answer another one is um exercise and movement yes. for sure just yeah. because and it's i'm it's also been a journey and still is of like trying to divorce that like commitment to that from diet culture mm-hmm. and from like a, a society that's very fat phobic when it's like, this isn't about how I look. Um, it's about how this makes me feel amazing, how it's good yes. for my brain. Um, and it makes my body feel alive. Yeah, um, totally. And it's hard in our culture to disentangle that from all the messaging we get around. Like it makes you a good person to be working out enough that you're skinny, which is like not the point. It's not the point. And and we seem to do this pendulum swing a little bit too. Like right now the movement, and it's not a bad one. It's really cool. Like it's the strong woman movement where we're trying to lift more and be more powerful, stronger. And I think that's also awesome. But it seems to be this pendulum sometimes of like, I should be skinny. No, I should be strong. No, I should be skinny. No, I should be strong. <laughs> and so and so finding, like you say, enjoyment in the movement. It doesn't have to be one or the other. We can just enjoy our bodies and we can enjoy being in them. Yeah. In our own skin. Yeah. And I yeah. mean, the reason we have that pendulum swing is because it's about people making money, right? Like yep. people will make money if you're unhappy with yes. who you are. So if something so is let's telling... Let's it and yeah. make them unhappy in a different way, but make it look like it's happiness at first. Yeah. But if something is telling you that you should be unhappy with who you are, be suspicious. Be suspicious. Be suspicious. One other thing that's like super critical to my health is the people in my life. Like relationships with people who love you and that's just been a thing that has gotten me through so much um and just finding those people and investing time in those relationships and and holding that close and prioritizing that like that's never steered me wrong yeah okay let's let's go into that for just a moment because we do have still a mentality often i find that we can't let anyone into our experience until we have it figured out 
I think it's a difficult thing for humans to be vulnerable and talk through those kinds of challenges that you and I are talking about openly here. And also just to admit, we don't know everything, right? What do you think we can do differently as a culture that way? Well, I think when we find people who we're safe with, we realize that it's okay, right? Like it's fun to be messy together it's with fun. you because we know that we're we safe with each safety. other. Yeah. yeah and, and, trust. and it's not perfect. Like mm. I'll do something that's inconsiderate and you'll call me on it, but I know you will, <laughs> you know, and the other way back too. Yeah. And like the fact that I know that we have that trust means that that we can go deep and we can be really there for each other. We yeah. can be like, this is what's going on. Yeah. And know that the other person's going to approach it mm-hmm. without judgment mm-hmm. and with openness yeah. and with just a lot of love. And lots of people who are loving like that exist if you're willing to let them in and Absolutely. find them. And I know there's like people and situations and relationships um, where you don't get that yeah. and where you experience deep betrayal. And then that makes it really hard to trust and to find that kind of relationship. But like when you find those people, stick with them. Yeah. Yes. I love that. And I'm glad you've stuck with me all these years. Yeah, me, it's I'm, definitely helped me through some shit. <laughs> I'm glad you have too. Yeah. And, you know, um, I guess my question to that is, if there are people listening today who may be feeling isolated in their mental health experience or maybe not knowing how to build trust in relationship, would you have any kind of idea or, um, I won't say advice, I don't love that word, but any kind of strategy for people who are maybe looking to build trust and unsure how to open up about what they're, what's what's going on for them? Oh, that's, yeah, that's a big question yeah, it is. that I feel like I'm not an expert who can answer, but I would say in my own experience, own experience is perfect. I, you know, find someone you, th- you think would be a good person to open up to and open up to them and see how it goes. Mm. And if they do something that makes you feel unsafe, tell them and see how they react to that. Cause how people respond when you tell them what you need, like honestly what you need, or when you call them out when something isn't okay or isn't safe for you, tells you a lot about what your relationship with them can actually endure. And there's a lot of times when people can't handle feedback or aren't going to be able to be there for you. And it's not always about um, that they don't like you. It might be something that they have going on with them that they can't resolve. But either way, there's nothing wrong with you recognizing that and being like, oh, they can't be there for me right now. I need to look for this care somewhere else. Yeah. And finding a person who is safe in that way and just mm-hmm. like, yeah, those people are out there. And I hope if you need that kind of person, you find that person. Yeah. And maybe and even, those people. Yeah. And it sounds like you're saying too, we test it with a small thing first. Yeah. Right. So you may not go to them and be like, oh, by the way, I'm super depressed and can't get out of bed. So if you could say one thing to, to your younger self before all this, before this knowledge that's come to you regarding your mental health and the changes you've made, what would you say to that person? Why would you say it? Oh, when you gave me this question originally, you sent me some questions in advance, I was going to be like, I would tell my younger self, being gay is so fun. You should try it. (laughs) That isn't what we've talked about. Hey, being gay does sound fun. (laughs) But I'll connect it to my mental health journey as well. It's great. I highly recommend it. Um, <laughs> if I mean, you can say that. That's totally fitting. And I think probably that's a big piece of the whole journey for you, too, that we haven't talked about. That, well, that's what I was going to say is like this mental health journey has helped me like shifting my career helped was part of that was like and something happened during my brain surgery, which I haven't talked about a lot, a lot or like with my mental health stuff right after. Where I like, oh, this is how I can say it, actually. Yeah, go for it. One of the wonderful things about mania for me has been that it allows me to tune into my desires and like validate them. Wow. It can be a problem with mania because you if, if you're kind of already like over the top with going after what you want, um, you could like do things that hurt your relationships and like be kind of really selfish. Mm-hmm. But for me, what happened, I don't I feel like I'm saying this like I'm not a selfish person. I can be <laughs> selfish. But I was raised in a Christian culture where as a woman, like what was considered valuable is, or as somebody who was like cultured female, mm-hmm. what, what is, makes you okay and makes you a good person is if you sort of sublimate your own desires and look after other people. So that was a subconscious thing that was just very present in the culture that I lived in. Yeah. 
um, and grew up in. And actually pushing past that a little bit and being like, no, this is actually what I really desire. Like, I know what I want and I'm going to go after it has been really helpful and really healing for me. Mm-hmm. And I came out years before um, the surgery and stuff, but that was a similar moment in my life where I was like, I actually know this is who I am and this is what I want and I'm not going to live in denial of that wow. um, and forfeit my authenticity to be to make other people feel safe or comfortable or to like be the way I thought I was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I know what's right for me and I'm going to go after it. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Yeah. So I would tell my younger self that it's good to go after your desires mm-hmm. and the things that you want that are like truly at the center of who you are, are life giving and go for it. Wow. <laughs> I don't even have a follow up to that. That was so good. So let me just ask you one final thought. What does it mean to you to move with your life? Hmm. That's a good question. I was thinking, I was thinking about this in terms of if I were a body of water, because <laughs> water moves. And I was thinking that I would be somewhere between like something stagnant and something flowing because I have this tendency to like what's comfortable and to, and to be loyal and like stick with what works for me and with the people I know and the things I'm familiar with. But also like I've been talking about with my journey, there's been real benefit from going after things that I know I really want that I'm not there yet. So I think I would be somewhere in between like something stagnant and like a flowing stream. So like maybe a little bit swampy, um, and wetlands are awesome swampy. like a wetland with some water flowing through it so for me moving with my life means not the dead marshes, <laughs> not the dead marshes. <laughs> just had to say something <laughs> something from lord of the rings i approve um <laughs> not the dead marshes no the, the, the flowing marshes yeah marshes are super important for ecosystems That's um true. or they are a super super um helpful ecosystem that lets a lot of different species Mm -hmm. that wouldn't otherwise get to thrive, thrive. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, moving with my life for me specifically means like pushing things in a bit more of a flowing direction and going after Mm -hmm. what I care about. And we were talking about this earlier on our walk, not on the podcast, but about how it's often hard to go after what you know you really want because it's scary, right? Because you're like, what if I fail or what what if it doesn't work? And so for me, it's it's pushing myself in that direction a little bit because mm. um, I'm a pro at comfort. So, so. You're not the only one. <laughs> well, and that's not a bad thing either, yeah. but it's finding that balance. Exactly. Yeah. That's a good point. It's not a bad thing either to be comfortable. No, I that's love. That's a topic for a whole other podcast. Something, if it's hard, to, if you can't be comfortable, that's the worst. That is the worst. Ooh, we've got to do another topic. This is going to come down the pike. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. It's genius, I say. If you can name what movie that's from, we'll send you a jar of pickles. Yeah. Maybe, depending on your location. Or to save on postage. (laughs) Yeah, if you can name the movie, you're our new best friend. Perfect. Join the club. Well, Celine, it's been a delight, as always. And I want to say to you, and I get a little emotional when I say this, but um, just one of the most brave people that I know. You've overcome so much in your story. You're continuing to move with it. You're continuing to choose yourself through a lot of challenge. And um, we've only touched the surface of some of that. And I just want to thank you for the heart you have, the vulnerability that you show, and just for for being here today, for being my friend. Aw, I love you, Rebs. And I can confidently say the bravery thing right back to you. Oh, I accept. (laughs) Cheesy moment. (laughs) All right, thank you for listening and tune in next time. We're going to have another great conversation with another awesome person. Stay tuned and stay well, friends. Mm